Morning. It's wonderful to be here today, and I really appreciate Pastor Tom letting me come in and trusting his pulpit to me. That's more dangerous than he might even realize, but I'm glad to be here. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Sam. I work at Knox Seminary, uh, and we just had our largest graduation in the history of the school, 72 students, this Friday night, so... Yeah, we're really happy about that, and uh, I have a wife, Cindy, and a daughter, Charity, whom I used to be a street performer, and I would tell people when I passed the hat, all this money goes to Charity, and and I have a son named Josiah, they're not here because they heard me on Friday night, and they think once a week is enough, so they went to another church, but I can't say that I blame them. But I'm glad to be here, and I hope that the Lord will bless us this morning. Let's, Let's bow for prayer. Lord, we are always thankful that You have given us Your Word and that we can listen to it. And we know that listening to Your Word is an act of worship, just as listening to our brothers and sisters is an act of showing them how valuable they are. And we pray that You will bless us this morning, that Your Word might speak to us in a special way. And we pray this in the name of our our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. C.S. Lewis uh, one time was going across the street and leaving behind his friend Sheldon, and Lewis said, I won't say goodbye because I'll see you again. Then halfway across the street, he turned around and looked back, and Lewis said, Christians never say goodbye. And today I want us to think about a passage of Scripture that reminds us why it is that Christians never say goodbye. It's found in the end of the 11th and the beginning of the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews. If you have a text with you, you can read it, or it'll be up here on the screen. And unfortunately, there's a a chapter break there that's not in the best place. You know, of course, that the chapter breaks were not inspired, that a guy made verses and chapters much, much later than it was written. So don't pay any attention to the chapter break, but this is what the text says. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You'll notice some very interesting things in this passage. The book of Hebrews was written to a group of people, most theologians think that it was written to a group of people who were suffering. And the writer to the book of Hebrews reminds them of all these different people that have come before them in chapter 11. That's why he says all these different people, that those are the ones that he's been speaking about in chapter 11. And then he says, they didn't get the exactly what God had promised them. They're waiting for something better. And so, the text promises us that God has promised us something better. And 
we, one of the things that God has promised us that is better is a Savior, and we know about that, who the Savior is and how it all works, and those who came before Jesus didn't know that. That's one thing that's better. But another thing that's better, and I think that what the author is pointing to here, is the place that God has prepared for us, the, what we call in Christianity, heaven. And remember that in Christian doctrine, there are really two heavens. There's one heaven that people go to when they die now, and then the Lord promises us that at the end of history, there will be a new heaven and a new earth that will be absolutely greater than we could have ever imagined. And so today, I want us to ask the question, why is it that heaven is a better place than where we live now? And I think that the author of the book of Hebrews, whomever he was, or she, if you're really out there, but whomever he was, uh, we don't know. He doesn't tell us. And whomever wrote this book, they, they wanted to remind us that while where we live now may have some wonderful things, and it does, there's a better place coming. And so we ask ourselves, why is it that heaven is better? And the author, I think, tells us. He tells us three reasons why heaven is better. I'll share those three reasons with you today. He says, first of all, that heaven is better because of its perfection. You'll notice in verse 40 that the Scripture says, since God had foreseen something better for us, it is a better kind of place. And we realize that earlier on in, the, in chapter 11, he has told us about some of the problems that people faced. He calls these people men and women of whom the world is not worthy. And we recognize that no matter how good our life is now, it's not perfect. The world is simply not perfect. All that we have to do is drive down the highway for a half an hour, and you'll see an ambulance reminding us that the world is not perfect. We drive past a hospital reminding us that the world is not perfect. We drive past all kinds of other things reminding us that the world is not perfect. Uh, I live in Boynton Beach, and right down the street from me is a, a, a funeral home. And I'm always, always looking around watching people being the introvert that I am, I would much rather watch people than talk to them. And so I, I'm driving, stopped at a stoplight near my house one day, right in front of the funeral home. And I see this younger lady get out of the car with two very small children. And I see them then open up the trunk and they get out a man's suit. And they're carrying it into the funeral home. And I see this little boy, he's saying something to his mother, and apparently he's saying, can I carry it? Can I carry it? Probably wanting to do the last service that he could ever do for his father. And then there was this amazing thing. She let him carry it, and he picked up one of the sleeves of the coat, put it to his face, and smelled it. Probably to remind him of the way that his father smelled. 
You don't have to drive past too many things to make yourself realize that the world's not perfect. And it, it may be that you sitting right here today have issues in your life that remind you more than you want to be reminded of that the world is not perfect. Heaven, though, is absolutely perfect. God's fulfillment is always better than we could have ever expected. One of the problems that I have and one of the things I tell my students is it's, it's a dangerous thing to try to interpret biblical prophecy because time after time after time, the fulfillment of that prophecy is so much better than anyone could have expected that everybody's wrong about it. And I kind of think that's the, exactly what's going to happen. You know, we have in Christianity people who fight over millennialism and whether or not you're premillennial. And sometimes, particularly in the Deep South, you'll see signs on churches, and one of the things they'll say is premillennial. That's their brand of orthodoxy. And I tell my students, the truth of the matter is that all these different brands of millennialism, whether premillennial or postmillennial or amillennial or transmillennial or whatever you want to have, I think in, in, at the end of history, we'll find out that we're all wrong, that it's so much better than we could have ever expected, that none of us ex- could, have, could have conceived of how great it is. And that is what we expect from heaven. It is a place that is so much better than any of us could have expected, where there are no funeral homes and no hospitals, and no ambulances, and nobody ever gets sick. It's an amazing, amazing place. So the first reason that heaven is better, that this place that God has prepared for us is better, is because of its perfection. God has prepared for us a better place. It's absolutely, and it's going to be made perfect, just as the verse 40 says, they shall be made perfect just like we, that without us, they shall not be made perfect. That is, that all of us one day will be going to this place that is perfect, and those who have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, all of us will be going there, and we will be made perfect. That's an amazing thing to think about, that one day we will all be made perfect. And you can imagine in your own mind what you might look like if you were made perfect. I don't even want to say anything about that, except probably I won't have to wear glasses. Probably I'll have hair. I might be taller. Those are all the things I'm expecting. Don't know if they'll be right or not. But I do know that regardless of whatever all that happens, that we indeed, without question, will one day be made perfect. And that's an incredible thing. So heaven is greater because of its perfection. But there's a second reason that heaven is greater. And that's because of its people. You'll notice in the 12th chapter and the first verse that it starts with the word therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore in a a text of Scripture, you know that a conclusion is coming, and so you want to look back to see what the conclusion was as a result of. That's the reason why this is a bad chapter break. Right in the middle it says therefore. But it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... The author of the Hebrews is telling us that all those people that he has listed in chapter 11, and you sometime this afternoon can go back and read chapter 11, and it will tell you all these incredible stories. And the people who were reading this book, they knew all those stories. Those stories were a part of their, their fabric of being. They knew about Moses, and they knew about Abraham. 
They knew about the prophet Jeremiah and all of those kinds of things. They knew about them. And the writer of the Hebrews is saying, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. He's saying that while we're here on earth, before we get to that perfect place in heaven, we need to remember that there are people who have gone before us. Whether or not they can see us, I'm not sure that's what the writer means to say, that they can actually look down and see us now like a, in a big stadium. I don't think that's probably it. I think that he's saying they have witnessed to the greatness of God by the way that they live their lives. And since they have witnessed to the greatness of God by the way that they live their lives, we also ought to witness to the greatness of God by the way that we live our lives. I don't know if you've ever been to Birmingham, South Carolina, but there's a, a school there, Beeson Divinity School. One of our professors at Knox graduated from Beeson Divinity School, and another of our professors used to be a professor there. But there's this Beeson Divinity School, unlike Knox, has more money than it knows what to do with. It just has incredible amounts of money. And one of the things that they've done with that money is build this beautiful chapel. If you ever get to Birmingham, you ought to go by and look at it because it's just amazing. And in the chapel, there's this ornate pulpit, really beautiful pulpit, and then there's this uh, sort of a domed uh, ceiling over the pulpit. And for two years, they had an artist in residence who was up there painting the dome. And it's just incredible. Because when you look up at the dome, you see sort of a fence around and all kinds of people looking down at you. And so you look and you see what is supposed to be Abraham. And you see Charles Spurgeon looking down, and you see Martin Luther and John Calvin, all of them looking down at you while you preach. It's kind of a creepy thing in some ways, because, you know, who wants to preach in front of Martin Luther or any of Charles Spurgeon? You don't have much to say when they're there. And it reminds us of all these people. It's sort of a, a picture of the 11th chapter of Hebrews leading into the 12th, that we are surrounded by all these people who have by their lives given witness to the greatness of God. These are incredible people. But one of the things that the writer of the Hebrews wants us to know is that these witnesses were not always healed. They were not always perfectly healed, not ever perfectly healed here in this life. And as you read through later on the 11th chapter of Hebrews, what you'll see is, is uh, the writer will say, some of these people were killed. Some of these people were sawed in half. Some of these people were fed to lions. And that's the reason that he says these were men and women of whom the world was not worthy. And it indicates to us and you can look at this, particularly the 35th verse of chapter 11 will we'll sort of give you that in a capsule. It indicates to us that we live in a world in which we're going to have trouble. And it's not an indication of your lack of faith or an indication of your lack of, of love or an indication of your lack of Christianity that you have trouble. That's not it. When you face trouble in your life, you ought never, ever to say to yourself, I must not be living right for God, because that's just not the case. There are lots of people in Hebrews chapter 11 who were living the best that they could for God, and yet they had serious, serious troubles. And we all know people 
who faced really serious problems, maybe health problems, maybe financial problems, whatever the case may have been. And we would say, I don't know why God wants to send that person those problems. They seem like they're the most gracious, kind Christian in the world. Why is it that, that they have those problems? And it's to remind us that the world is filled with imperfection and that one day we will get to meet these people. Heaven is perfect. Heaven is a wonderful place. It's a better place and it's better because of its perfection. It's better because of its people. And that one day, imagine being able to sit down and listen to Moses talk about his time in Egypt. It's a great thing to listen to other people's stories. Uh, I just taught a class a few months ago on storytelling in preaching, and I made everyone tell me some kind of a story, and they're fascinating. It's the reason that I listen to NPR all the time. NPR is like a radio station for old people, but they have this... They have this, these, these marvelous stories, particularly on the weekend with, with shows like Snap Judgment and The Moth and This American Life. There are all these stories reminding us that we're all different creatures and we all have amazing things that God has done in our life. Just on the way down here this morning, I was listening to NPR and I heard a quotation from Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you have heard of him, I'm sure he was a German theologian who died as a result of the Nazis in Germany. He was put into a death camp and eventually died. And a good bit of his writing that we have comes from his writing while he was there in the camp. And one of the things that he says, because he had started sort of a small school there in the camp where he was teaching people, One of the things that he says is that listening is one of the greatest things that Christians can do to one another. Just listen. He says because we listen to God, and that's an amazing thing, and the great way that we can show other people that we believe they're created in the image of God is to listen to them, listen to their stories. And one day... The writer of the Hebrews is promising us that we will get to the place where we will have an opportunity to listen to all of these people and to ask questions of Calvin and Luther and Abraham and Samson and all of those different kinds of people. It's an amazing thing. Heaven is better because it's a perfect place. Heaven is better because of its people. And then there's a third reason, and the most important, the very most important reason that heaven is better. It's not just better because of its perfection, and it's not just better because of its people. It's better because of its priest. There's an amazing thing that happens here in this, in this first and second verse of, of, of Hebrews 12. The writer, who I'm convinced was some kind of an orator, the, the book is really a collection of speeches, I think. And so he spent all this time in chapter 11 leading us up to chapter 12. And in chapter 11, there are all these people's names, Moses and Abraham, all these people's names, all these great heroes of the faith are listed in chapter 11. And if you've ever read through chapter 11, or if you've ever heard anybody talk about it, they will say, this is God's hall of fame. This is the heroes of the faith. And yet this amazing thing happens. The writer says, therefore, 
And so we expect him to say, therefore, you ought to be like Abraham, or you ought to be like Moses, or you ought to be like Jeremiah. But he doesn't say that. He shocks us instead by not saying you ought to be like Moses or Jeremiah or any of those, but by saying to us in the second verse of chapter 12, looking unto Jesus. He's saying to us, don't be like Moses or Abraham, be like Jesus. And the reason that heaven is absolutely perfect is because we have an absolutely perfect priest. That priest is Jesus who is able to forgive the sins that all of us have committed. Sometimes if I'm on a plane and I feel like talking to someone, which is not that often, but every once in a while, uh, I'll say to them, tell me the strangest thing you've ever done in your life or the strangest thing that ever happened to you. And sometimes it's stranger than I want to know about, but sometimes it's, it's really interesting. And one time I was riding on a plane, and this guy beside me was uh, a, um, he was a Muslim. And so I talked to him a little while, I said, no, I'm, I'm a Christian, I, I'm not a Muslim. And so he, you know, he says, well, you really ought to be a Muslim. Have you ever read the you know, the Quran, and I said, well, I don't read Arabic. I've read what you call the Quran in another, another language. And he says, well, that's not really Quran. And I said, well, I don't really have time to learn to read Arabic right now. But I said, I said, let me ask you this. I said, one of the great problems that mankind in general faces is that we've done things wrong. We've all done things wrong. He said, yeah, that's, that's true. He said, even you, you've done, probably done something wrong. Yeah, I have. I said, one of the great problems is how do you get that wrongdoing taken care of? He said, that is a good question. And it is a good question. And the only religion that really answers the question is Christianity. Because Christianity reminds us that everything that we do against God, every sin that we commit, places ourselves, the Gospel of Matthew would say, it places ourselves sort of owing God money. And how are we ever going to pay it? Because we've done so many things wrong that our debt to God is so high that we'll never be able to pay it. And we stand before God and He says, hey, you need to pay this bill. And we say, I don't. I don't have the money. But then there comes along in history someone else, the very Son of God, very God in the flesh who says, I'll pay that for you. I'll pay that debt. And so every time that the Satan comes and reminds us that we have done things that we shouldn't have, all other religions pale in the answer to the question, how do you get that taken care of? In the face of all of those sins, in the face of everything that we've done wrong, the writer to the Hebrews tells us that we stand in the empty tomb. Because this Jesus, not He didn't just come and suffer the horrors of crucifixion. 
But the writer of the Hebrews tells us that after he suffered the horrors of those crucifixion, at the end of verse 2, he tells us that now he sits on the right hand of God the Father. And there's nothing more important in all of Christianity than the resurrection. Nothing more important than the empty tomb of Jesus. And every time that troubles come our way, every time that, that we think to ourselves we just can't do it anymore, we stand in the empty tomb and realize that there is one who has perfected our lives because we couldn't do it. That is the real reason that heaven is a better place. It's a better place because we have a better priest. So it's wonderful to know that we'll be going to a, a place where a place where God has a, a, a city of perfection. It's wonderful to know that we will be going to a place where we have such wonderful people. But it's more important than anything else to know that we're going to a place where we have the greatest high priest ever. If you read through the book of Hebrews, one of the things that you can do is remember that the whole book of Hebrews is about this one theme. Christ is better than whatever you can put in the blank. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews starts by saying, telling us that Christ is better than the angels. Christ is better than the sacrificial system. Christ is better than anything else. We have that high priest that is the greatest high priest that has come and shed his blood so that he could pay the debt for us, but not just shed his blood, but also was resurrected on the third day. And that's an incredible thing. That we worship a resurrected Savior whom one day we will go to be with. No matter what kind of trouble you might be facing in your life right now, no matter what kind of issues you might be facing, it's important for you to realize that we worship the living Christ and that He will one day make all of that right. Toward the end of the Soviet Union, it was May of 1990, and the then head of the Soviet Union was Mikhail Gorbachev, you might remember, and he was seated in Red Square. And in Red Square that day, they were having this, this gigantic parade as the Soviets were wont to have, and they were having all these tanks and these missiles uh, come by in front of Mikhail Gorbachev. And on the other side, on the other side of a barrier, there were thousands of spectators. And remember that this was the Soviet Union that had done its best to wipe out Christianity in the empire. This was the Soviet Union that had done its best to tell people that God didn't really exist, that the Bible wasn't true, and that the only thing that they had was today. And that day, in front of Mikhail Gorbachev, a seemingly small protest started. And, and, and these eight men, they pushed their way through the through the crowd, past the barricades. And the Soviet police immediately run over there and try to stop them. But six of the men make their way through the, the Soviet police. And they climb over the platform. And they run up to that place where Mikhail Gorbachev is sitting. And the man who finally got past everyone, he raises this eight-foot-high cross into the air, and he's yelling at the top of his lungs, 
Yelling at the top of his lungs, he says, Mikhail Gorbachev, Christ is risen. And remember, this was the Soviet Union. That was amazing enough that in the Soviet Union, there would be a man brave enough to run up to Mikhail Gorbachev, raise an eight-foot cross and say, Mikhail Gorbachev, Christ is risen. But then something even more amazing happened. All of the crowd of thousands and thousands of people there said together in virtually one voice, they responded. When he rose the cross and said, Mikhail Gorbachev, Christ is risen, they all said, He is risen indeed. It's an amazing thing to know that we worship the living Christ and that our greatest hope in life or in death, is an empty tomb. Today, you have that hope. No matter what kind of issue or problem that you might be facing, the greatest hope that you can have consists in that person who left an empty tomb. Let's pray. Our Father, we cannot... Thank you enough for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to be a part of us. And I pray that you will bless us today as we remember what an amazing thing it is to worship the living Christ. I pray that anyone who's here today who doesn't know Christ or anyone who's suffering from some serious issue will take these words that you will bind them to their hearts and that they will realize that there is a better place and that one day we will be there. And we pray in the name of that one who gave us the better place. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.